Hello, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I am presiding and conducting today as Heavenly Mother. And we have a wonderful guest today, guest speaker, the one and only Laban, rebellious guest. <laughs> um, I'm super excited to interview Laban. I knew Laban when we were members and now we're not anymore. <laughs> um, so I guess Laban, tell us a little bit about your childhood in the church, the early, the early life. Tell us. All right. So I actually was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. And then my family, a few years afterwards, moved down to St. George, Utah, where I was raised up until I was about like 18, 19 years old. Um, I have two older brothers and a younger sister. And um, we all had a, a lot of fun growing up. Um, and then I have an interesting dynamic with my parents because they're so I grew up with my dad and my stepmom, and then my mother kind of really wasn't in the picture very much. But um, yeah, so I had a happy childhood for the most part. I loved running around outside with my my friends and um, went on a lot of hikes and stuff. We loved catching lizards. <laughs> so just very happy childhood. Um, I grew up in an inactive family. Like we, my parents were members, generations of my family on both sides of my my parents were members, but I wasn't very active very much in the church until um, I was 11 years old. Well, I did actually, I attended church here and there enough that I was able to um, like understand the basic principles of the church. But when I really started becoming active was when I moved in with my grandparents when I was about 11 years old. And that's when I started understanding more about the church and getting a feel for the, the culture of the church. Oh, so you were in, you're in the Mormon hub. You're like straight up in the bubble, which is, I mean, the capital of Utah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I'm, I like roast the church all the time. So I'm like, well, you're, why your childhood was happy is because you were less active because I like think the church is terrible. But I mean, I think being less active is probably healthier than being hardcore in it, in my opinion. But that's just my little perspective. Um, so you move in with your grandparents and then you got exposed to Mormon culture. Tell me about that. So little you is 11, moving with grandma and grandpa, stuff gets real. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely did get pretty real. I remember um, I was actually, it was about 11 years old when I started to develop my first crush. And the thing that makes me want to talk about that is because um, so I'll talk about my gender identity and stuff later, but at this point in my life, I, because I grew up as a female, and at that point in my life, I identified as a lesbian, and my first crush was a girl that I met in church, and love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Continue. <laughs> yeah. So I. The, the reason why church, 
like things got real was because I started becoming very aware at that age that it wasn't normal to like someone of the same gender. And part of that was because that was the age when I tried to like come out to my family, specifically to my mom. Like I remember I wrote them a letter and it was like, this is how I feel. I'm sorry to like disappoint you. I, I don't know why I feel like this. I just do. And then I wanted to just leave the letter in my parents' room and then just like disappear and go hide in my room for a while and let them digest the info. But that's not what happened. What happened was my parents found the letter and my mom like pulled me aside at the table and asked me about it. And so she was just like, well, you can't like like someone of this you can't like someone of the same gender that's you don't want to do that like you're too young to understand your sexuality you know um it's kind of wrong to (laughs) experience that you don't want to be like that you want to like the opposite gender so i was like "Eh, okay (laughs) so then i just after that um i kind of just didn't talk to them about it again but I did notice that my um, people, like my peers at school, would make comments. And it was actually the girl that I liked was starting oh to God. notice, too, how I felt. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's getting stressful. I'm, I'm in this mentally. I'm imagining it. It's getting stressful for young Laban, continue. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So pretty much, long story short, um, I just became more aware that the people around me did not think that was normal. Um, Like, no one talked about it in church, necessarily. I mean, not, not explicitly, but it just was kind of the air there. Um... So then I was active for a few years. And then when I hit like 15, 16 years old, um, I stopped attending church for a little while because I'd, at this point, I had experienced some bullying from people in the church because of my sexuality. And also, I just, I don't know, teenager. I, for me as a teenager, I wasn't super interested in going to church all the time i like to do my own thing yeah it's hella boring <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean like bullying is a huge piece on part of it and i literally hate bullies like it's like my personal vendetta against them but also church is boring so like that checks out so continue <laughs> <laughs> yeah so but then um graduation high school graduation was coming around and um Oh, I forgot to talk about one other thing. When I stopped going to church, my parents were still inactive, but my mom still wanted me to go because she felt like it made me happy. So even though she didn't go, she wanted me to attend. So I kind of felt a little bit of family pressure with needing to go back to church kind of a thing. Um, But fast forwarding to high school, high school graduation, 
I had a good amount of friends that were trying to graduate and then go on a mission. And so I was like, well, I want to do what my friends are doing. So I decided I wanted to serve a mission too. And I did. And then that time in my life kind of had a huge impact on me because that was when I would say, I mean, I kind of got an idea just with how people acted around me at 11 years old that I wasn't normal in the way that they would, I guess, put it. I wasn't straight to them. But then on a mission, it was a whole different ballgame because you're in it 24-7. And um, I had one companion ask me, "Why why don't you ever talk about guys? Why do you always talk about women? <laughs> Shit. And you're like, oh, God. Oh, my God. And the sweating bullets. Or How did you handle that? My Atlanta. <laughs> um, I kind of just dodged the bullet, to be honest, because they had this thing called no frogging in my mission where if you saw an elder or a sister flirting with each other or with someone else, they were supposed to say, hey, no frogging to shut it down. And so I I just told my companion, I was like, so I don't talk about them because that's not what I'm out here for. I'm out here to focus on the missionary work. Way to twist it on them in true Mormon style, solid <laughs> save. <laughs> also, where did you where did you go? Where did you go on your mission? I served in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, dip. Okay, well, I've never been, but I think it looks beautiful from what I've seen pictures of. I was in New Mexico. You already know that. People on the podcast already know that. But yeah. honestly, perfect answer. Way to divert because. <laughs> nosy nelly companion was you know what i think that companion might have i mean what did how did she think it was gonna go god what a bitch anyways continue (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i just like shut it down right there um but the part where i i noticed that things were getting more different for me was I don't think I really had a crush on any of my companions so much as just I was different from them and and that companion like very blatantly pointed that out yeah um but then I got home from the mission and I tried so hard to date men uh, cisgender men because in my mission, you know, my mission, my first mission president and his wife, they very much cultivated this culture where you're supposed to be obedient and live the gospel to the best of your ability. And part of that includes, you know, go home and for the men, marry that woman and start a family, priesthood duty. And for the women, you know, go home, find that man and be the housewife, do the, the the calling that you have for that. And so I tried. I went home 
with the expectation I was going to be able to fulfill that. But that was not <laughs> how things happened at all. I went, I, I got back home and I went to BYU, Idaho. And reality kind of just slapped me across the face because I was like, I felt things a lot more for women. Like my emotions were a lot stronger. And I wasn't expecting that. But um, because I was really committed, because at this point, I developed a strong testimony about the gospel kind of a little bit throughout my teenage years, but especially on the mission. And so when I came back, I was like, I just want to come home and please God and do what I'm supposed to do and find that that guy I'm supposed to marry. But I just couldn't do it. It was not what was in the cards for me. And... So it kind of just ate at me at my time at BYU-Idaho. Yeah. Also, BYU-Idaho is a terrible place. (laughs) That alone. (laughs) But so should I jump to when we we met or no? Do you have more years I mean, it was like around this. It was pretty much the same time I was figuring stuff out. So you, you can jump to that, yeah. Okay. All right. Also, I talk in a circle so we can like go backwards. You don't have to stay linear. It is what it is. So me and Laban were interns together in the social work program. And we got to be like mad homies. Um, And I I was, you still had time, but I was graduating and we would hang out on the weekends. And a lot of, we both had testimonies at the time but we were both like critical of the church. Like we were both like, this isn't work. This doesn't work. This person's crazy. This. And cause we were like, we thought we we're going to hang out and like watch Marvel, Marvel movies. And we just end up talking. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, that was my scene. It was my last semester at BYU Idaho, which was probably the hardest, one of the hardest for me mentally and emotionally. Um, not so much mentally, but at that point, like emotionally, I was so ready to get the hell out of there. And so Laban was like a real one. And when, um, I was graduating, Laban came to my graduation and like everyone that knew us were like, wow, Laban's such a good friend. And like, people would say that it's like, Laban was a real one. Um, in a world, <laughs> in a world of rocks, be a gold nugget, be a Laban. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of it. And like, we'd have deep talks about the church. Like we'd go, we'd go hard. Um, just kind of with our like disappointment with the school experience. Like we were both pretty disappointed. Um, but yeah, I remember both of us had testimony still and I don't know I think I come off as like super angry so I think I was pretty angry back then but you had a pretty chill vibe but we're on the same page yeah so anyways now you continue that's my little segue sidestep that's how Heavenly Mother met Laban (laughs) (laughs) so continue 
Yeah, I, I definitely remember that time. And that was the time when I was really starting to figure out that the expectation um, and the culture there was very much um, suppress your emotions if you are attracted to the same gender. Yeah, like it, it's wrong, you're not supposed to do that. And I recognize that the church says that you're supposed to like, love your brothers and sisters that that fight that battle. Um, but at the same time, it was it was toxic. Like the culture there was toxic because people would say, "I love you, but I don't accept you." Kind of a thing, or you can't be your real self. And it was it was actually interesting because you know you fight that so hard because um, I really did believe in the church at that time in my life. And like you said, Heavenly Mother, you, you had a testimony. I remember having that testimony too. And I actually went and became a temple worker while I was out there. It was during that time. I was a temple worker. Crazy, y'all. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was a temple worker because I was trying to change a part of me that you can't change by going to church and reading your scriptures and, and doing everything that they tell you to do because that's that's not what's meant to be. And I personally don't feel like you should even have to change for church like that. Um, no, I don't either. Yeah. So I tried to go to the temple to change. And one of the experiences that actually really shifted my, my view on the temple was I was doing an ordinance with someone and it was, I actually didn't find, like, I wasn't attracted to this female. I was doing okay. But what kind of got to me was that this female actually checked me out in the temple while we were doing the ordinance. And it, it struck me, it struck me that that was not something that is going to change even inside of the, the sacred place that you're taught can work all kinds of miracles for you. And that kind of shook my testimony at that time because it was supposed to be a safe haven and it wasn't a safe haven out there. Damn. Honestly, that's, that's profound and I love it. <laughs> I love it because... I, I just think, I don't know, and I'll ask you at the end, or now, or whenever, like, where you are with spirituality, but we'll, we'll just wait to get there, okay? We'll wait to get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I just think, what a battle between truth and lies. Because I do see the temple as, as well, there's a lot of it that's just not true, you know, there's a lot of it that are lies. And then this was this real honest moment like that woman was attracted to you and like that was real like real versus unreal authentic versus inauthentic 
right there in this place at this time. Like it's, it's so poetic. Um, that that's why I said that I love it and it's powerful and it helps get you out and in a better place. So keep going. I'm loving it. I'm eating this up. Yum, yum, yum. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like that, that really hit me hard. And I think that was when I started becoming like more critical of the church because I realized that I had spent so many years of my life at this point. I mean, I obviously didn't grow up in a, an active home, but I had spent a lot of my teenage years and at this point all of my adult life committed to the LDS church, committed to everything that they stood for, and it wasn't benefiting me. I was miserable. And it was taxing emotionally, um, mentally, because I wasn't allowed to express or be who I was at the time. So, um, like, when we met Heavenly Mother, that was actually, it wasn't my last semester, of course, but I, that was an awful semester. <laughs> it was. We were hanging on by a thread. <laughs> we put each other on that razor's edge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, like, I hung on for, I think it was two more semesters, and I was, the other indication that helped me realize that the, it was a toxic place was I, as soon as I graduated, I was relieved to get out of there. Mm-hmm. I was very happy to get out of there. So then I started looking at graduate schools in Colorado and just anywhere outside of Rexburg. And um, I found a master's program for social work. It's a, It was the University of Denver in Colorado. And I, I liked the program. I liked the mental health side of things and the substance use stuff that they specialized in. And so I applied and I got in and I moved to I uh, no I don't <laughs> I moved to I moved to Colorado, but um, what I didn't realize at the time was that that was a huge blessing in disguise because it was a major shift, and it kind of led me to um, meeting some people that helped me get to the first major flag that I had that things were really messed up with the church. What was that flag? So it was realizing after having long conversations with people, particularly one friend of mine, that the the church repeatedly comes out with these harmful policies um, for LGBTQ+. And the, the policy that specifically comes to mind is when the it was the policy for kids could not get baptized until a certain age because their parents were in a, a same-sex relationship or a same-sex marriage. Oh, 
Oh, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Keep going. That probably was for the alarm for the time that you've, because we're in two different time zones. So, anyways, continue. Yeah, that, was... <laughs> that policy was god awful, super culty, but continue. Yeah. So that was, and and how I got there was basically, um, I met a woman in grad school that I ended up, we ended up flirting with each other and got a little bit physical. And then I ended up not, it didn't go anywhere because I kind of just like shut down and ran away essentially because my, like all those years of suppressing my emotions, when it came time where I had an opportunity to do something, I was just super overwhelmed. Um, so one day after I graduated from grad school and I was just pretty, pretty upset in a dark place because I wasn't happy. I was really beginning to hit a wall with the church where I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Pretty much hitting my breaking point. And my friend helped me realize that things aren't as black and white as they they tell you it is in school and like at BYU Idaho it's very black and white there yeah and the church culture just everywhere is black and white and so because they never tell you you have a choice they're always like it's wrong um so I had a discussion with my friend in which she kind of just opened my eyes, helped me see that the church is not black and white. And then he helped me like talk through that I needed to stop being on the fence about whether or not I was actually going to set the church aside long enough to explore my sexuality or if I was going to stay in the church and just let that go and just suck it up and try and marry someone I wasn't attracted to. And I ended up choosing at that time to step away from the church because I really felt like I needed to explore that. I knew I wasn't happy. And that was when I found the stuff about all the policies and the harm that the church has been doing, um, which is upsetting because if the church really understood that topic, it always came back to me about why, why are they coming out with policies that are harmful and then retracting those policies, but they're still doing a ton of damage in the process. And that's something that I couldn't get over. And that why it was such a big flag for me. Preach it. Amen. It was, they, so the church does a lot of like, it just gaslights the population, right? So they, they come out with this policy that's backed up by doctrine that's super transphobic, super, homo, super homophobic, super racist, super misogynistic, deal of the above, super whatever. It's oppressive, period. And then members go through with it, they follow it, and then the church will change its mind. 
and pull back and then act like, oh, we never taught that. We never believed that. We never said that. Then you have all these memories, like (laughs) memories that you're like, what do I do with these? Because the church really did believe this and really did teach me this. And then you have members who, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like they're so, they're mentally set back in the old way because that's what they were conditioned and it's wild. Like, you feel like you're in a washing machine, like, ah, like, thrown around as a member. And then it's it's super weird, because um, one of the things that we were told all the time at BU Idaho, right, is, like, the doctrine doesn't change. I'm like, but it does. But the policies change. The policies are doctrine, you dum-dums. Like, it's, it's you know, the revelation is continuing. And I was like, but re- revelation is backsliding, changing its mind. That doesn't sound like revelation. So at the same, we kind of left the church at the same, around the same time. Um, but I remember messaging you about cult stuff because that's one of the signs of a cult is constantly changing policies. So as you were, continue. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I remember that too. And it was around that same time that um, I don't know if we talked about this or not, but Elder Holland gave a talk at BYU addressing what was going on there with the same sex relationships and LGBTQ plus and it was pretty much a talk that like exploded because people were either super yes this is absolutely correct or they were they were like this is horrible why would you say that because he referred to like muskets and firing upon people and standing up and defending your faith for that kind of a thing when it was really just trying to talk about, um, I mean, the issue at the time was equality for church members that are also in the LGBTQ plus community. And part of it stemmed from that there was a policy at BYU that was retracted and again with those harmful policies where someone, I, I don't remember all the details, but basically someone changed the policy so that it didn't explicitly say you cannot be in the same gender relationship there. And so people started getting into relationships and were showing public displays of affection like kissing and hugging. And then Elder Holland gave that talk and BYU retracted that policy and people got in trouble for displaying those affections and it just created a whole huge mess. So when that happened, that was another huge hit because um, it was really impactful. And what people don't always realize what I didn't realize for so many years is that that kind of a thing really influences the culture of the church because here, yeah, like here, here are these prophets and apostles saying, love your siblings, love these people that are part of this community. 
but then they're also saying, take up arms, get out the muskets, and fire upon these people to defend your faith. And so it's very conflicting. Yeah. And and by design. It's conflicting by design because to keep people on their toes is... It's abusive, but it's also how you, like... You har- you harness someone's mind. You capture someone's mind. Um, and so I, I do see... I'm pretty out and about with it. I do see the church as a cult. I think it qualifies. Um, that was a big turning point. I was already out of the church at the time that that happened, but it still affected me emotionally because I'm a human being with compassion and uh, I just knew that it was wrong um, and it didn't at that point it didn't uh, what's the word I'm looking for it still kind of surprised me like it was that bad where <laughs> at this point I like knew all the horrible things Joseph Smith had done well most of the horrible things but I still was like shocked <laughs> by how horrible that talk was so it was one of the big, big things. So continue. The talk happens. You're like, gotta get the fuck out of here. Okay. <laughs> or whatever your thought process was. Continue. Yeah. Like that was, that was a huge, huge wake up call. And like, that was actually, it hurt too, because that was one of the people that I really enjoyed listening to growing up. He was one of my favorite apostles. And then he gave that talk, and I lost a lot of faith in him as an apostle, as a human being. And it was eye-opening, too, because it helped me realize that the church is not done with making these harmful policies and then retracting them. And they're not done causing harm and damage to the community that is the only place I've ever felt like I've actually belonged. And that's another piece too, is like going back to some of the stuff with the childhood stuff and growing up. Um, It was members, members of the church who were taught to be Christ-like that were the ones who were typically doing the bullying too. So it just, there's a lot of judgment in the church and that's pretty toxic and the thing is is it's the apostles and the it's the apostles it's the leaders of the church who they say be loving but they're also cultivating a hostile environment for different Preachers. groups yeah so <laughs> so that happened and then um, that was, I would say it was pretty close to the, well, that, that pretty much was like the final straw for me, honestly, because I realized that nothing was really going to change um, in, the, in regards to the church hasn't benefited me up until now. I've spent years trying to fit in, trying to live the gospel. I 
was serving in the temple, reading the scriptures, went on a mission. And this is the kind of thing that's still going on. I don't think I'm ever going to really benefit from being in that kind of atmosphere. And it was also around that time that, um, so I, I have experienced this for my whole life, but it was with my gender where the sexuality has been at the forefront for me for most of my life, but I've always never felt female. I've always felt male. And so it was around this time I was figuring out that I'm a trans male. And the thought process when I figured that out was, it just adds like another layer of complicated and lack of acceptance that the church is going to have for me. So I, after that talk, it kind of just didn't want a ton to do with the church anymore. And yeah, so that's kind of what's brought me here today. <laughs> I have I have comments and then I have questions at the end. So you're actually our first um, LGBTQ plus guest that's out. So we might have had others in the past that didn't come out on you know on air. So like feel extra <laughs> feel like <laughs> feel feel like you're winning. Um, but no, when you were when you were talking, it just it brought back obviously like memories to when I left because I thought I could change the church from the inside and you had that attitude too because because we would talk about it. Even at Buiwato we talk about it, how like we're going to be different and we're going to make it I don't know, we thought we could save it somehow Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And then another thing I love that you said like amen preach it because it, it comes up on this podcast a lot as it should is that for years as members we're told that like the church is perfect, the people aren't. And we're told that the men at the very tippy-tippy top are, like, so righteous, and they're who we need to be like. But by the time it gets trickled down, that, you know, it gets convoluted. But what you're saying is the truth, that it's actually the opposite. Like, the leaders of the church are cultivating the hate. They're allowing it. They're feeding it. They're not stopping it. And the other host, Bishop Jensen and Elder Jackson, Uh, have brought that up too multiple times that like if the church really wanted to do something about it they would Um, but they don't and instead they make these other comments about picking up guns like what the fuck (laughs) um so it's it was wild also like I've said this to you in person I've said it before like Laban really has always been a man like it was like just like the moment I met you like you've always been masculine bro like it's just it's always it's always been there um so yeah it is a a layer of complicated because I mean as a Mormon person like the idea of being gay or bi or pansexual is like barely or asexual like any of those things other than being heterosexual is like barely even scratched on so then the idea of being trans is like what (laughs) just not even on there but what was really comforting and has been really amazing is learning about the fact that 
the majority of the world pre-Christianity had more than two genders. Like, that's not weird. And there's been more than two sexual orientations. Like, everybody Google the Kinsley scale. Like, it's a spectrum. Like, it's, it's madness, and there's so much evidence behind it. And I learned this recently, actually, that when um, Nazi Germany took over, the first books that they burned were books on trans research. So to be anti-LGBTQ+, I mean, look who you're aligning yourself with. Like, you're aligning yourself with literal Hitler. Like, I'm coming in hot. I'm coming in hard. This is how I feel. Because these are all constructs that, like, when I run into ex-Mormons that still have hang-ups about certain things, I just hope that they deconstruct that. Like, if they hang-ups about LGBTQ plus people, if they have hang-ups about women in positions of authority, like, just deconstruct that, because all of that comes from the church. Like, it's not, it's not natural. We're taught it is at church, right? Like, God made Adam and Eve, whatever. It's not even how human bodies are all the time. It's not how every culture is. It's not how every society is. Let it go. <laughs> Those little constructs, those constructs are just gripping so tightly. Just let them go. <laughs> let them, let them fall away. So, I thought I would ask you, Laban, where, if you're comfortable, where do you stand spiritually? What's your spiritual vibes now? Yeah, I, I kind of struggle with this one because part of me feels like I'm still figuring it out. Um, but probably the only thing I do know right now is that there's got to be some higher power somewhere because I've had too many experiences where I feel like there's not much else that can explain how I know stuff at times or different things that have happened in my life. But I can't say that I necessarily believe in many of the things of the church anymore because it's there's just so much and i don't even think we could unpack half of everything that's, that's like happened or that it's wrong so it's just like there's i pretty much just believe in a higher power at this point i don't think that the church necessarily aligns with everything i agree with anymore um, I still have family that are still very much in the church, but I try not to have conversations a ton with them nowadays because I just don't share the same opinions anymore. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so, I mean, I've sort of decon. I started deconstructing and then like kept going, and so. Like, I left the church, and I really felt like I was a Christian for a long time, and now I don't identify as Christian um, at all. And so I, I believe, like, in my ancestors. Like, that's if I pray, that's who I pray to, and I believe everything is a spirit, and I'm into that stuff, but I'm open-minded, as faith should be. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird that the church expects people to believe the same exact thing from day one till they die like that's not very natural that's not really normal like we're all evolving so yeah pretty mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's, just, it's, a, 
it's one of the many, many, many red flags. Um, do you have any funny or horrible stories from BYU Idaho you'd like to share? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, um, I uh, I'm gonna share this experience to kind of give a taste of what it's like where you're part of the LGBTQ plus experience or part of the really the community is what I meant to say. Um, but they they don't take that into account with the housing because men are put with men and women are put with women. And I had someone that I knew that I roomed with, we actually shared the same room. And I had feelings for this woman. And I went to my bishop to talk about it, to figure out how to like not do anything about it. Because at the time, I believed that that was the right thing to do. And we met, like I don't know, probably twice or something like that. Not very often, but just a little bit. And he kind of just helped help me think through some things. And then I think I made a comment to him after like a month had gone by after not talking to him about it, about how it was still bothering me and it was a struggle because I was suppressing my emotions for someone that I was sleeping across the room from and that I was taught it was wrong. So, um, and this, this bishop, his response was, why are you still, why is this something you're still dealing with? You, you talk about this too much. You need to just like move on from this topic. Oh my God. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, I, I never went into his office again to talk about that subject. What an ignorant weirdo. It's what I expect from Bishops of Boo, I don't know, to be honest. I expect less than the bare minimum. <laughs> was this, I won't say names, but was this the person that we talked about at Boo, I do that we were? No. That one it oh, was actually, yeah, it was, uh, it was one, it was one of the people before them. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, never. Okay. <laughs> just, just for context to the audience, it's like, what the fuck were they talking about? There was a girl that we knew. Okay, okay, we didn't know. We're just. I have excellent radar for this. Okay, as does Laban. We knew this girl wasn't a one on the Kinsley scale. Okay, and instead of like dealing with that, she ended up just kind of lashing out at you. So that's the person I was thinking of. Yeah. And then we'd roast her because she just became kind of a bully and she was, she was terrible. Um, so, but I think that's a really common experience within the Mormon culture is if you, you know, you are in the, like you are on the spectrum of LGBTQ plus, they sometimes become the worst bullies. Like until they're ready to come out, they are sometimes the worst bullies. So. Yeah. It's like that Shakespeare quote, me thinks thou dost protest too much. Like, 
Mm, why are you so hateful? <laughs> why does this bother you so much? Mm. <laughs> stroke my mm. <laughs> like I stroke my chin at that. Like mm. <laughs> so that was that was the vibe. But I'm happy that we're out of the church. It's been a long road. Um, but also like you're still young. You've got your whole life ahead of you. If we had we had years that it took away from us, but we have we have the future. And so you like you're involved with the LGBTQ plus community where you live, correct? Or kind of like I'm I meet more people and I think that was actually something I didn't quite talk about enough, but I'll go into it for a minute. So something that happened that helped me recognize that people in the church thought it was weird. Or I guess when you when you like someone and they obviously don't like you back, they're, they're going to be kind of weird about it. But when you like someone of the same gender in the church, there's, for me anyways, there's an extra layer of weirdness to it because they make it weird. They're like, well, why are you why are you like that? That's not how I feel. So it's almost like a shame aspect that you experience. Like I, I experienced that at BYU Idaho. And that was actually something that happened with the person you were you were talking about that we both knew. Um but in Colorado where people are the church isn't as prominent and probably anywhere else really they're they may not like you back but they're gonna be nicer about it and it's not gonna be such a deal they aren't gonna do a wide berth to the across the street when they see that you're around because that's how you feel um so that was definitely a thing too but yeah I'm glad to be out. I've actually never felt more myself after finally getting off the fence and leaving leaving the church and just being real. Like it's it pays off in the end. It does. That's a beautiful thing to say. And I've seen you get happier and happier like as different things started happening like cuz at first like you cut your hair and then it just slowly started, I don't know, like like a flower. <laughs> you sound like a beautiful. <laughs> like, but really, though, for like, it's like a bird, you spread your wings, like seeing that. And my sister had heard that it takes, for every decade you're in the church, it takes a year to kind of heal from that. Um, and so I'm doing pretty good. I haven't even reached my first full year yet. And so, I mean, it'll it'll just take time and... I think that, well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and our, as our first, but you won't be our last. <laughs> uh, um, so, I don't know, it's just, it's wild. Like, yeah, you, you thought you were lesbian, but surprise. <laughs> like, yeah. but it, what, a, what a plot twist. <laughs> yeah. I remember asking you that. I was like, so you're like a straight man? And you're like, yeah, I think so. Like, 
what's up with you and labels i'm kidding you didn't say that but, <laughs> but <laughs> i was just like i don't know it's it's exciting to see somebody who was basically in hell with you because we were together in a terrible place both of us get out and then we're able to be happy like that's just awesome yeah, one one of the few people that, <laughs> but more and more of my like people that I knew, are are getting out. It's just, <sighs> I hope all of them will. Do you have any final thoughts? Any closing thoughts? I I do. Um, the first thing that really comes to my mind is, well, thank you, like, for having me on the little podcast tonight, because. I think people need to know that church does not have to silence you. And that's what it did for me for so many years. Um, Like it silenced my authentic self and it also silenced the pain because as you talked about before, um, the church, if you question things and try and figure stuff out, they don't particularly like that. They, I mean, I remember them saying, question things, but they don't really want you to at the end of the day. Because when you do, and you find that church isn't, that the church, the LDS church isn't really for you, then they get upset. But for those people that are listening to this, I hope that you guys know it's okay to question and to figure stuff out on your own. Like, don't let your voice and your heart be silenced because of the church. That's really important to know. So, Amen, brother. You're making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that's exactly it. Man, that was beautiful. And it's true. <sighs> yeah. Well, we, we close these meetings in the name of someone do you have any idea like do you have any particulars you'd like me to close in the name of lucifer (laughs) (laughs) yes we say these things are heretical apostasy blasphemy words um in the name of son of the morning star uh lucifer (laughs) all right (laughs) 